Welcome to Words of Truth. Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Who is the image of the invisible God? The who there is speaking of Jesus. So it's saying, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And we'll stop our reading there. Uh, and if you would, I'd like to pray, so just bow with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, my Lord and my King, my God and my refuge, my Savior, and my all in all. We come to you this morning thankful that you hear our prayers. I am humbled to think that a insignificant 34-year-old man in Columbus, Indiana can humble his heart and pray to you, and that the sovereign God, the creator of the ends of the earth, hears my prayers. I love you, Lord. I pray uh, that today that you would open up your word to us. I'm thankful for your word, and I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you'd make our minds sharp to understand it and our hearts tender, Lord, that you would move in us and show us what it is that you'd have us to do. I'm thankful, Lord, for your son Jesus above all else, for without him we would have no hope. Without Christ, uh, there would be no reason to be here today. There would be nothing uh, to be hopeful for. There would be no salvation. And today I am, uh, I am what I am today by your grace, and I'm thankful for your son, Jesus. May you speak to our hearts today, dear God, uh, and may you show us who your son is, and in seeing who your son is, may we know who we are as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our topic uh, this morning is reconciliation, reconciliation, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, it's a word that's used there towards the end of our reading. Um, and starting in verse 20, we see reconcile used, um, and then also as we go down, it talks about that in verse 21. Uh, I'll just read verses 20 through 22 one more time as it'll be the focal point of what we're talking about today. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And that, that'll be the focal point of what we'll talk about. Uh, last week we talked about the verses that preceded this, and we asked the question, who is Jesus? 
And we tried to answer that in relationship to what the Scripture told us here. We said this is rich with theological truth, so much so that we will never get to the depths of it. And I hope that you will study these on your own time and think about what it is that the Bible is saying about the person of Jesus Christ, uh, because it is a journey that you will not regret when you dig into the Scripture and learn about Jesus. It is awesome. Uh, and so what we learned about uh, a few things that this scripture told us about Jesus, just in review, uh, we said, who is Jesus in relationship to God? And the scripture told us that he is the image of the invisible God, that God throughout scripture, it tells us that God, no man has seen God, that God is spirit and that God is invisible. And so no man has laid his eyes on God. The Bible tells us that. But what Paul is telling us here in Colossians is that Jesus Christ is the image of of the invisible God. It is talking about Jesus Christ's incarnation. Remember when he was born, the angels said that his name would be what? Emmanuel. Remember that? And what did Emmanuel mean? God with us. That Jesus, though he was fully man, born of a woman, he grew like we grew, and he died like we died, yet fully man, he was never not fully God. The fullness of deity was in him. It said that there, that it pleased God, that the full, it pleased him that the fullness of God would dwell within him. So Jesus was the God-man. He was fully man, and he was fully God, and he was the image of who God is. You want to know what God is like? Do you want to know his personality and the way uh, that he is and the way that he acts and the way that he thinks? Then you need to look at Jesus Christ because he is the image of God. He is fully God in the second person of the Trinity. He is God. And so we learned about that. In relationship to God, the, the fullness of deity was dwelt within him and that he was the image of God. Uh, we talked about his relationship to creation, that everything that was created was created by him and through him and for him. All of creation was created by him and through him and for him. Just talking about it makes me want to preach about it all over again, and I'm, I've been known to do that from time to time, but we'll try to spare you from it. But it's just exciting uh, to think about all that Jesus is, and, and, and we learned about that in creation, that he was before all things, both in rank and in time. As you go back with the cause and effect of the things that are in this world, uh, well, this caused this, and this caused this, and you continue to trace that back, you run into something in the end, and what you run into is Jesus Christ. At his incarnation, he did not begin to exist, but Jesus has existed from eternity to eternity. He has always been. Uh, God is eternal, and he has always been, and everything that is in existence today, he spoke it into existence. And it was made by him and for him and through him. And so uh, he is before all things, and all things are held together by him. Not only did he create all things, but he holds all things together. Remember last week we talked a little bit about the orbits and how if, uh, you know, the axis that the earth is tilted on. And if we were just uh, a tiny percentage closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. And if we were just a tiny bit away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. And everything's in its place, and it's all held together. And the beauty and the organization of all of the universe and the Bible says that it's all held together by him. 
We were created by him. We are sustained by him. All things hold together in him. And lastly, and we didn't cover this last week, and I won't cover it fully this week because I felt like moving to these next verses, but he is the head of the church. It says that he is the head of the body, which is the church. Church, remember this, that a body without a head is lifeless. And a church without its head is lifeless. Without Christ as our head, we can accomplish no good in this world. He is the one that authors our faith and the things that we do. He, we follow his commands. And if we ever begin to do things for ourselves, or we walk according to what we think is right or what we hold to be true, we will make an utter mess of things. But if we commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to the head, Jesus Christ, and we act as his feet and his hands in this world, we can make a powerful impact on the world today. And that is why we're here to be the lighthouse in the midst of a dark world. And I don't think anyone in this house today wouldn't say that we don't live in a dark world where there are dark things and there are bad things. And God has put us here to be a light in the midst of darkness. But the church cannot be that unless we are following and listening to our head, Jesus Christ. He is the source of the church. He is the beginning of it. He is the origin of it. He established it in his life and in his ministry. And it is he who is the head of it. And he is the redeemer of it. And one day he will present his bride unblemished before his father, God. That's who he is. We could preach a whole sermon on that, but we're going to move on and talk about reconciliation a little bit today. So uh, we talked about who Jesus is in relationship to uh, his father, God, in relationship to um, creation, in relationship to the church. And really today, this is where Paul shifts and gets very personal and talking about who Jesus is in relationship to you, right? He's talked about these things, and then in verse 21, he says, and you, okay? So we've got this big picture idea of Jesus and, and the, the uh, immensity of all that he is and, and what he is, and we've tried to wrap our fragile minds around the eternity of Christ and that he's self-existence and that he, he created all things. And, uh, you know, we've tried to wrap our small minds around just the awesomeness of God. And we said last week that uh, at, at some point we just have to say mind blown, right? That our minds can't wrap our, ourselves around the fullness of who he is and all that he is. But we can stand in awe and reverence him as our Lord, our creator, and our savior. And then Paul gets personal. And we're going to get a little personal today with how Jesus is in relationship to us and what he's done for us. Now, I want to work our way backward today. This kind of this stood out to me as I prepared and studied. Uh, the, the very last uh, part of that, verse 22, it says, In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So what he's talking about there, he's painting a picture that is beautiful. Okay, I, I, <laughs> I was in awe considering this and trying to think about this in my head. But he's talking about a day when Jesus is going to present Jesus as the Redeemer is going to present the redeemed, his children, to God. So, Jesus here, the Redeemer, those that he has redeemed next to him, before the throne of God, he is presenting the redeemed to God. And he is presenting them in a way that he described that they are holy, unblameable, and unreprovable, in his sight, in God's sight. 
Now, that's a lot to take in, okay? And I want us to think about that for a little bit because I believe that I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ today, and I believe I will be in that number. You might say that sounds arrogant today. I can promise you today that I am not redeemed by anything that I have done or I have accomplished, but I have trusted in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. And because of what Jesus has done for me, I am redeemed by his blood. I have been purchased by Christ. And one day, he tells me that he's going to present me before the sight of God, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, the honest person has to stop and say, hold on. When I think of the words holy and unreprovable and uh, 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 un unblameable, uh, that doesn't sound like me. Right? How is it that Jesus is going to present me? Holy means pure, separate from sin. And if I'm honest about my life and the things that I have done, I can promise you it's not pure and it's not without sin. Uh, he goes on to say that he's going to do, show me uh, unblameable in the sight of God. Unblameable means faultless, unblemished, that God cannot blame me for anything. And I think about my life and the decisions that I've made and the things that I have done, and unblameable is not an honest adjective that I can use to describe my life. Lastly, he says, unreprovable, beyond reproach, can't be accused, unaccusable. And again, I cannot honestly use that adjective to describe who I am. What about you? I can't speak for you. That's why I'm speaking for myself today. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, I bet we all fall in that same category, right? Now, so how is it that Jesus, the Redeemer, is going to have his redeemed and present them in God's sight? And God, who knows everything and knows all things, is going to look at us and see holy and unblameable and unaccusable and beyond reproach and pure. How is God the omniscient, all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe, going to look at me and see that, right? That's an honest question that we have to ask ourselves because if we're honest today, that is not a descriptor of any of us. We can do one of two things when we think about that. One, we can say, well, yeah, I am that. And I think there is people that honestly try to paint themselves in that light. But are they being honest? No, we're not, right? The best of men is merely men. And the reality is, is that we have all sinned. We have all done wrong. We are not above reproach. We are sinners. So how is it that one day Christ is going to take his redeemed, present them before God in his sight, wholly unblameable and unreprovable? That's, that's the last part. So we've got to go back. And I felt like working our way backwards today. Because... Remember, Paul is talking to the church at Colossae. He's talking to the redeemed ones. And he says in verse 21, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And I, I read that verse and I think, oh, okay, that's me, right? Not the other stuff, the holy, unreprovable, you know, blameless in God's eyes. Like, yeah, I have a hard time relating with that. But when he says, oh, alienated, 
um, uh, we're enemies in our minds by wicked works. Okay, alienated, doing wicked works, you know, hostile in my mind towards God. Okay, now that I can relate to, right? Can you relate to that? Think if we're honest with ourselves today, that is us. And Paul is saying that same thing about the same people he's about to say Jesus is going to present before God holy and unreprovable. So there has to be the question, how do we go from alienated from God How do we go from enemies in our minds to God, hostile towards him, doing wicked works, to holy, unblameable, and unaccused? Right? There has to be something in between that transitions us from one to the other. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is why I stand behind this desk and I preach the word of God. That is why I go to my school and when God gives opportunity, I try to share the good news of the gospel. Because I believe today in a God, I believe today in a Savior, Jesus Christ, that can take people from alienated, enemies in their minds towards God, doing wicked works, and making them holy, unreprovable, and uh, unaccused before God. I believe that today. (laughs) And the question is, where do we stand? So let's, let's think about that. How does that transition take place? First of all, he says that you are sometimes alienated. Can you relate to that? I think that's a word we can relate to, right? Um, I think there's alienations in our lives in other places, right? As a high school teacher, as I see these high school kids, teenagers come in, I see them alienated in many ways in their life. I can look at my own life, and, and not just them, but that's what I see on a day-to-day basis. I see kids alienated from their parents, for whatever reason, uh, the causes of life, the sins of mankind, a lot of the kids that I see on a day-to-day basis have been alienated in their own homes from their own parents. Uh, I see siblings alienated from other siblings. I see marriages that are broken and husband is alienated from wife. Uh, I see a country alienated from other country, people alienated from other people, and I think we see this all the time. Not only all around us, but probably in our own experience. We have experienced alienation. Maybe sometimes we have felt alienated from others, right? Isolated. There's everybody else. I'm not a part of that. I feel alone. I feel depressed. I feel alienated from what other people are experiencing. The alienations that we experience and that we feel on a day-to-day basis are just a symptom of the root cause. And the root cause is that it stems from an alienation from God. Okay? We are alienated from God, and our purpose in creation was to glorify God and to enjoy his presence. God created Adam and Eve in the garden uh, perfect and holy and righteous. They walked with God. They talked with God. They experienced God. They had a relationship with God that has never been seen before on this earth other than then. But what happened to that relationship? We know that, that, that the serpent came and uh, told them that their eyes would be open, that they would see as gods, and they wouldn't die. Oh, but in that moment that they transgressed that law of God and they walked contrary to what God said was right in that moment, they died a spiritual death in that very moment that separated them from their creator, from their very purpose. They became alienated from God. When sin entered into our existence, uh, 
the, the relationship between man and God became severed because of sin, because God is those things. God is holy. God is pure. God is without sin. And because we are sinners, we are alienated from him. You ever hear people say, I, I just need to go find myself. I think people have been saying that for decades now, right? They go on some spiritual journey to find themselves. Why are they trying to find themselves? Because they're alienated in their hearts. Their purpose in their existence has been broken because they're alienated from God. And though we can maybe see it or we can't see it, we're trying to find the answers to life and to the existential questions of this world through finding ourselves. And the reality is, is that we are lost. We can't find ourselves because we're alienated from the one that's made us and the one that we're supposed to be enjoying and living with and fellowshipping with for all of eternity. We're alienated. It says that we are hostile in our minds, enemies in our minds, that we have hostility towards God. And some of you may be sitting here today and say, ah, that's not true. I'm not hostile towards God. I love God. God exists. Great. Uh, but the reality is that we do have some hostility towards God in our hearts. And when things enter into our lives that are bad, we blame him. And when sin shakes its ugly head in our lives or things aren't going how they want to go, how we want them to go, we think, oh, why did God do this? Or why did God do that? Or how is this happening? Or why is this happening? And we have a hostility in our hearts and we have hostility in our minds towards God, whether we acknowledge it or not when we're alienated from him. Said that we do wicked works. Yeah, that's something probably not PC today to say you do wicked things. It probably means good now. I <laughs> think how the kids use the word wicked now. But the reality is that what he's talking about there is that we do sinful things. We don't want to acknowledge that today. And you know the way the world has tried to fix this, and probably some of us have tried to fix this? We feel alienated, unattached from the world. We get depressed. We feel isolated. And so the world has said, well, no, we're not going to tell you that you do wicked things or you do sinful things or wrong things. We're going we're gonna to make the things that are sinful or wicked sound like they're good things, right? We'll just make everything relative. That's the world's philosophy on right and wrong. If we just say, well, there is no right and wrong, Everything is right depending on how you view it and how you think about it. It's all relative to the way that you see it. Well, then if I don't think that it's bad because it's in my, my eyes, then I don't have to feel bad about it because it's not wicked because I don't think it is, right? That's society or culture's answer to the wicked works of the world. They say, well, I, I don't do things wicked because it's, it's what I think it is. It's not bad. And we see all the time the world calls what is wicked good and what is good evil that or um, they drowned it out with the substances and the things of the world to try not to have to think about it, right? They dull the consequences of alienation in their own hearts. They feel separated. They feel isolated. They feel like they're not fitting in the world, right? And that is a symptom of the fact that they are isolated from God. They're alienated from him and they fill themselves with different kind of substances and things so that they can dull the feeling and effect of what they're feeling inside. Does it fix anything? I think we see the brokenness all around us in our very community of what that kind of substance abuse is doing to our community. And it doesn't answer any long-term problems, right? Temporary highs that break our homes and break our families and break our lives. Yet they don't answer the real concern of our heart, the fact that we're alienated from our Creator. 
So, how is this broken world that's doing wicked works and that has hostility in their minds going to one day be presented before the Lord? Holy, pure, <laughs> unblameable. He says, and you were sometimes, that's, that's the beautiful thing about this. He says, this is what you were, right? He's talking past tense here. I hope that you can talk past tense with this as well. This is what I was. You know, you hear people say sometimes they're a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Today, I have the assurance of heaven, not because of anything that I have done, but because of what Christ has done for me. I was a sinner. I was hostile towards God in my mind. Even as a 10-year-old boy, there were things in my mind that were hostile towards God. There was perverseness in my own heart. There was wicked works in me. And thanks be unto God by his grace, he forgave me and he saved me. Listen, it says, And you were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So here we get this word reconciled. I think most of us probably know what that word means to be reconciled, right? When two parties are at odds against one another and they are brought back together, whatever it was that was separating them from each other or alienating them from each other, that is dealt with, it is satisfied, and then the, the warring parties can be brought back together in fellowship once again. So we see the reconciliation of marriages, of families, of of. of friends of all kinds of things, right? We see that kind of reconciliation in our own walk with people that are alienated from each other. Well, this is talking about the reconciliation between us as sinners, those that had hostility in our minds towards God, those that were doing wicked works, those of us that were alienated from God. It says Christ has reconciled you, right? Now, he's not talking about everybody, Okay? So the universalist believes that because of what Jesus has done, everyone in the world is saved and right with God. He's talking to a church. He's talking to the believers at Colossae. And he says, one time you were like this, and now Jesus has reconciled you. Right? He's talking to a group of people. So not everyone in the world is going to be reconciled. The Bible tells us that. And I pray that, that all would, but the reality is that there will be those that reject Jesus Christ. There will be those that, that turn their backs to God and reject him and will not believe in the Son of God. It's a reality. I pray that you wouldn't find yourself in that group. But Jesus has reconciled us. So, Jesus has done the work necessary to take a sinful people and reconcile them with a holy God. Right? And he's done that by the great exchange of Scripture. He became what he was not so that we could become what we are not. Okay? God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I want you to think about that great exchange today because that has to take place. Before you can go from alienated and wicked works to holy and unblameable, there has to be a consideration of what Jesus Christ has done for us in that great exchange. What Christ did on the cross of Calvary was satisfy the justice of God because God is just and sin had to be punished. And Jesus in his body, in his flesh, came to this world and he paid the penalty of sin by his own body. 
He gave it in death on the cross of Calvary. And he knew no sin, right? Jesus had not sinned. He was righteous. He was perfect through and through. And yet he died the death of a sinner on the cross in our place. The Bible teaches us that our sins, the wicked works that we heard about, the hostility towards God, that was imputed on to Jesus on the cross. Okay? Imputed means it was taken from us and put on him. On the cross of Calvary, the sins that we have committed, the things that we have done wrong, the penalty and punishment for all the sin that we have committed was placed on a man that never sinned and was wholly righteous. It was put on him, imputed towards him. And on that cross, as the father turned his face away, he felt the shame and reproach of a sinner, though he had never sinned. And he felt the wrath of God poured out upon sin for us all. <laughs> and the thing is today, that in doing, if, if that had not happened, there would be no way to reconcile a sinful people to a holy God. But because Jesus died in our place, he became our reconciler. He, was able, he is now able to take us and bring us back to God. Because not only was our sin imputed to Jesus, but the perfect righteousness, the perfect holiness of Jesus. Jesus who was unblameable. <laughs> Jesus, who was above reproach. Jesus, who was separate from sin. Jesus, who was unaccusable by anyone. <laughs> His righteousness is accounted to us. He got our sin and we got His righteousness. Now tell me if that doesn't leave you in awe of who God is and his love for us, that he would give his only son to take our sin and that his righteousness would be accounted to us in salvation. That's the great exchange of scripture, of the gospel. Listen, the reality is, though, that all that Jesus accomplished on the cross does not account to us unless we've been saved by the grace of God. We must be in Christ to receive the benefit of all that Christ has done for us. The Bible talks about us being in Christ and those that are out of Christ. Those that do not believe or trust or given their life over to Jesus are out of Christ, but those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, turned from their wicked ways, and trusted in Jesus wholeheartedly, he says, in that moment, that moment of regeneration, he cleanses us of our sins. He justifies us before God's eyes. And his righteousness is accounted to our behalf. The gospel is amazing today. So we go back to our question. How is he going to present us before the sight of God? Holy, unblameable, unreproachable, unreprovable, excuse me, in his sight. He's going to do that because Jesus' righteousness is going to be applied to us. When God looks at me, he's not going to see me. He's going to see the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that has washed me of my sins. The reality is that we're all unfit for heaven. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make ourselves fit for heaven. We need Jesus Christ. And today, if you, 
if God, through the light of his gospel and the presence of his Holy Spirit, is helping you to acknowledge the reality that it's a little more dirty in there than you thought, that you can't clean it up by yourself, I want you to, he wants you to know today that he's finished the work. And the way that you get right with God, the way that you're reconciled and that, that relationship that Adam enjoyed in the garden is restored in the fact that, that he is, we are reconciled to God, that happens not because you turn over a new leaf, not because you start coming to church, not because you get baptized 47 times, not because you listen to the scripture, not because you try to make new decisions and better choices for your life, because at the end of the day, our righteousness is as filthy rags and our best attempts are futile. How many times have people tried to make better decisions and turn over a new leaf and do something different, yet they just continue to fall back into their old ways and their old things? Is because we cannot fix ourselves. And we are not going to fix it by doing religious ceremonies or religious acts or coming to church. That does not save us. What saves us is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he made peace with God through the blood of his cross. He made peace with God. Oh, how I wish you knew the peace of God today. I am thankful that as a 10-year-old boy, I experienced that peace and salvation as I bowed before God, not really knowing what to say, what to do, what to anything. And I surrendered my heart to God and I trusted in Jesus. He saved me and he gave me a peace that has never left me. Praise his name today. Do you know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Do you know the peace that only he can give? Because he made peace through the blood of his cross. I want to invite you today that if you don't know that, to seek the Lord. I don't invite you to me. I don't invite you to a spot. I don't invite you to someone sitting around you or to do a, a list of certain religious duties. But I want you to know that Jesus is enough. Jesus is everything. <laughs> He is before all things, and all things are held together by him. Everything that was created was created by him, and through him, and for him. <laughs> and by the blood of his cross, he made peace with God. And today, he is the reconciler that can take a sinful, wicked people and reconcile them with a holy and a righteous God, that we can have peace with him, and we can have the assurance that we will spend all of eternity in his presence.